Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at that last section in Galatians chapter 6, 11 through 18. So by my calculations, Missio Dei Church has been open for 635 weeks, two months, and one day. That means, by my calculations, that I have preached nearly 600 sermons since we opened in March of uh, 2007. That's overwhelming, to think about 600 sermons of just constantly being in the Word and making sure that I am presenting what is true and beautiful and faithful to God's Word. And I'm sure that over the years, you have, if you've been with us for a short time or a long time, you have heard me say that this is, this is the most important, or that this is, this is really it. This is where we got to land. This is where you got to throw all the weight in. You've heard me. And if you've been in a classroom at all, you will have heard a teacher say, this is the most important thing. And then after a while, you start going, really? This is? Wait, which is the most important thing, because it seems like everything is the most important thing. But by God's grace, my, I believe that this, this last sermon in Galatians does actually end with what is most important. And I'm not just saying that like all pastors do. Because pastors do lie from time to time, saying that this is the most important point. They don't mean to, but then they're really lying. They're just trying to get you really buying into it. And you're going to hear me probably, be, probably do that again next week. This is the most important thing. But I believe that this is the most important thing for us in our Christian walk. It's the thing that is most important to me. And it's the thing that I want you to walk away with today this most important thing. This is where we're going to hang our hat every time. This is where we're going to go when we feel like our lives, our marriages, our workplace, where we emotionally are bottoming out. We keep on going back to this most important thing. So my friends, we're going to read Galatians chapter 11, 1 through, uh, sorry, Galatians chapter 6, 11 through 18. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word and hear with spiritual ears what is this most important thing? Hear the Word of the Lord. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace 
and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word, Lord. You may be seated. So we've been studying the book of Galatians since January, and up to now, Paul has been dictating this letter using a scribe. We're not exactly sure why he's using a scribe. Maybe it was just the fancy mode of the day. Uh, maybe there were some other reasons going on, but up But now we see Paul breaking in in verse 11 saying, See with what large letters I am writing with my own hand. So it's basically Paul is taking the pen in his own hand and pens this conclusion in his letter. So let's pause. Paul often concludes his letters by signing his own name. It's, it's like a signature. It's a way to verify, to say, this is true. This is what I've said. He's signing off. That, that way the re- recipients actually know that this is a verified letter from the Apostle Paul. But this Paul, Paul time, Paul doesn't just sign his name. He doesn't find the line at the bottom that has his Apostle Paul underneath it. He writes this last concluding section himself. He writes a conclusion and a summary of the entire book and notice that he does so in very large letters. Now why large letters? I'll tell you, the commentaries are divided. There's all all kinds of reasons there. There are some that say it's because Paul probably had very poor eyesight. He couldn't see well. So he's like the grandmother or the person with cataracts who writes with very large letters so he himself can actually see it. And and I believe that is possible. That is a, a good reason. But it's also possible that Paul is taking the pen in his hand at the end of this letter and underlining and highlighting his central message. This My friends in the church in Galatia, this I want you to know. Do not mistake it. This is critical. It's the only time in any of Paul's letters that he provides a a summary, a concluding summary of his book in this way. And, And let me tell you why this is important. One reason that Paul thinks it's important and that it's there's really a good reason, is because this is a make it or break it deal for the church. This is critical. This is foundational. This is central to the Christian faith. And we have got to get it right. And friends, this, this for you is a make it or break it deal when it comes to your Christian faith as well. It is vitally important. There is really nothing that is more important than this. So let's get to what he says. This is really what he says in in one sentence. 
What's most important is that you avoid false gospels and instead boast in the cross. Avoid false gospels, but instead boast solely in the cross. What is important for you individually, for us as a church, is two things. That we avoid the false gospels of self-salvation, and instead we boast only and exclusively in the cross. So our our first point is, avoid this this gospel, this false gospel of self-salvation. Salvation. And the first thing that Paul picks up this pen and warns us about is this. He warns us against this tendency that we all have, every single one of us. There's not one person here exempt, including myself, that does not find him or herself in this spot of desiring to be our own Savior. He he warns us of a danger that can and will seep into our church. The danger is we all want to somehow contribute to our salvation. We want to add something to Jesus to make us more appealing. If I could just do this, it'll be perfect. The danger is that we will try to add to the gospel. And by doing so, we will only subtract from the gospel. And we will end up ultimately destroying our own souls. And the reality is that we're not blatantly trying to do this. It's not like, man, God, you have no clue about how to save my soul. So I'm going to give an additive to make me better. No, it's a subtle thing. And by doing so, we ultimately destroy ourselves. A.W. Pink once said this, The greatest mistake made by people is hoping to discover in themselves that which is found only in Christ alone. We hope to discover in ourselves what can only be found in Christ alone. Or another pastor said, the most dangerous thing that can happen to you is that you become proud of your own obedience. It's like, look at me. I am faithful. I am pure. I am maturing. I'm doing this. I'm leading here. I'm contributing here. Look at me. And we think that somehow our obedience is going to make our salvation more possible, more beautiful. Think about that. Our greatest danger, our greatest mistake is that we look to ourselves and our obedience instead of looking to Christ. So how does Paul say this? How does he flesh it out? Verses 12 to 14. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Paul Paul is saying that there is a counterfeit gospel that is going on here that is seeping into the church's life, seeping into their understanding of the gospel. 
the counterfeit gospel is that we think we have to contribute to our salvation. We have to contribute to our own acceptance with God. And how do we do that? Through our efforts. And all throughout the book of Galatians, Paul has been warning time and time and time again about this danger. It is a clear and present danger and one that seems to be built right into our own hard wiring. How many of you have ever driven a car that is out of alignment? Oh my gosh. How many of you have ever seen a car driving out of alignment? I remember growing up on the farm and we we were just, farmers are not made of money and so if a vehicle is out of alignment a lot of times they just drive it and it's it's like a dog you know kind of walking and it just walk, watching this vehicle go down going down the gravel roads but the the butt end of the truck is just off as they're driving this way it is just the oddest thing the the whole time you're you're driving the car just kind of, kind of wants to veer off this way and you spend your whole time just trying to keep the car on the road it just feels like this constant wrestling and the danger that Paul is talking about is just like that our hearts are out of alignment our hearts are out of alignment and continually want to veer off the road and veer towards self salvation and it takes a lot of focus to resist that kind of drift towards self salvation and instead to keep our eyes focused on Christ the danger is that we try to make a good showing in our flesh and Paul says the danger is doing something external that contributes to our salvation it's it's doing something that we think that that adds to what Jesus has done in order to earn our acceptance with God. Man, this if I just do this, it is going to be make my acceptance before God even more beautiful. Yeah, I get what Jesus did, but I need to add a little bit something else. In Galatians, the issue was circumcision, keeping an Old Testament law. But we, my friends, have our own version of doing it. John Ortberg, who used to be one of the teaching pastors at Willow Creek Church up in uh, North Barrington, and who is now uh, a pastor in Menlo, California, he wrote this. The church I grew up had its boundary markers. A prideful or resentful pastor could keep his job But if ever the pastor was caught smoking a cigarette, he would have been fired. Not because anyone in the church actually thought smoking a worse sin than pride or resentment, but because smoking defined what was in our subculture and who who was in our subculture and who was not because of our boundary marker. As I was growing up, he said, having a quiet time was a spiritual marker. A measure of spiritual growth. If someone had asked 
me about my spiritual life, I would immediately think, have I been having a regular and lengthy quiet time? My initial thought was not. Am I growing to love, growing more loving towards God and towards other people? Boundary markers change from culture to culture. But the dynamic remains the same. If people do not experience the authentic transformation, then their faith will deteriorate into a search for boundary markers that masquerade as evidence of a changed life. The danger for each and every one of us is that we are going to pick up some external behavior as our contribution to our salvation. And slowly, without even realizing it, we begin to trust in our own righteousness or boundary marker rather than the finished work of Christ. Does that make sense? Instead of trusting in Christ alone, I trust in my personal devotional life, my regular church attendance, my giving of my tithes and my offerings, my being a great mom or a great dad or a faithful husband or a faithful mom, a hard worker. You begin slowly trusting in those things to be accepted by God instead of trusting solely in Christ alone. And what's the problem with this? Paul says he's got two things. Paul says, listen, the motivation is all wrong. Paul sees options, he sees the options here as gospel on one hand, trusting in Christ alone for salvation, or some other self-salvation project. Uh, and he initially, instantly recognizes that many of us will do anything we can do to avoid trusting in Christ alone. With the Galatians, there's lots of pressure to get the Galatians to measure up to the Jewish law to please Jewish Christians who didn't really understand the gospel. But there's something all within us that really, if we are honest, even myself, there is something that balks at the idea of trusting in Christ alone. Every one of us struggles with this. And if you, if you say that you don't, my BS meter goes off really fast. All of us struggle with really putting all of our trust and our hope in Christ alone. Our, our motivation is often off. Our, our motivation is to avoid the harsh truth that there is nothing. Paul, there is nothing that I can contribute to my salvation. There is nothing that I can contribute to be accepted by God. I am accepted. Despite my brokenness. Despite my, my inabilities. Despite my broken track record of falling on and off the wagon. I am in, accepted by God no matter what. But there's another problem. Paul prays that those who are pushing for works righteousness 
can't get themselves, can't themselves keep the standard that they're arguing for. You, you want this kind of thing, but you can't even keep that kind of thing. Paul says, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. The reality is we see this all over in our culture. We, we get politicians who battle in the courtroom and they battle to get laws passed. And a few later, years later, they themselves are convicted of those very crimes, those laws that they have broken. A pastor rails against a certain sin and it eventually comes out that he is secretly practicing that sin for years. The irony is that the, there are very few people who argue for self-salvation and those who do are the very same people who don't even measure up to their own standards because the reality is none of us do. The churches that have the strictest standards that you need to follow in order to measure up are the churches that are filled with the biggest hypocrites. Because none of us can keep the standards that we set in order to save ourselves. So please hear me. The greatest, the greatest danger this church faces is that it will veer off. That we will veer off without even knowing it to a false gospel. Will Willimon said, unable to preach Christ and Him crucified, we preach humanity and it improved. We're always tempted to substitute the message of for a message, the message of the gospel for a message of self-improvement and, and self-salvation. We're always tempted. If you just do these five things, you are going to be more accepted by God. You are going to feel guilt-free and, and loved more by God. But the, my friends, that is a false gospel. The only thing that you contribute to your salvation is sin, which makes the gospel itself necessary. That's the only thing that you can contribute. That's it. We have nothing ultimately but need. Need for Christ. So at the end of the letter, Paul picks up his pen and he emphasizes the importance of, of avoiding this false gospel of self-salvation. Avoid trying to earn God's approval through your own righteousness. So what does Paul say to do instead? Here's the second thing. He says, boast exclusively in the cross. Not only should we avoid this, the focus on self-salvation, but we, we also need to boast exclusively in Christ. And that's what's most important. Paul says, far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, there, there are Sunday mornings where I wake up with anxiety. I wear t-shirts 
that have special padding so that I do not sweat through. Because I am anxious. I, I, I worry, my friends, even after spending time in the Word, I worry about presenting a true and beautiful and faithful gospel to you because you mattered to me and you mattered to God. I wake up with a sense, a sense of urgency, sometimes even playing back sermons that I've, I've preached. I'm, I'm basically useless to my wife in the morning because my mind is just rolling with ideas and thoughts and fears and concerns and urgency all in this ball of wax. I, I can understand um, what a preacher said in this novel called Gilead. He said this, I think every day about those going through those old sermons of mine to see if there's one or two I might want you to read sometime. But there are so many, and I'm afraid, first of all, that most of them might seem foolish or dull to me. There's not a word in any of those sermons I didn't mean when I wrote it. If I had the time, I would read my way through 50 years of my inmost life. What a terrible thought. I had a dream once that I was preaching to Jesus himself, saying any foolish thing I could think of, and he was sitting there in his white, white robe, looking patient and sad and amazed. That's what it felt like. Well, perhaps I can get a box of them down here somehow and do a little sorting. It would put my mind to ease to feel that I was leaving a better impression. So often I have known right here in the pulpit, even as I read these words, how far they fell short of any hopes I had for them. They were the major works of my life from a certain point of view, and I have to wonder how, have, uh, how I have lived with that. This is a, a pastor wrestling with, was I faithful in presenting the most important thing? Time and time again, dealing with anxiety. Man, 50 years of sermons and just going over it. And I, I think back over the things that I have preached and shared with you and all the things that I wished I had shared with you. And maybe some of you feel that as parents and grandparents. You're going, man, what? I've said some really stupid things to my kids, my grandkids. I wish I could go back and make one thing, for me, I wish I could go back and make one thing so clear that it is the greatest theme of my preaching from the beginning to the end. And it is this, that our only, what word? Only confidence, our only boast, our only hope is the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Friends, that is a thing. If I would walk out today and say, I am done, find another pastor, I want you to be able to say, man, Paul 
communicated to us time and time again that our only confidence, our only hope, our only boast is in Christ and Christ alone. The cross is central to everything we believe. He did it. He nailed it. The reality is I, I don't always do that. But that is the thing I want you to understand. Christ and Christ alone is your only hope. Charles Spurgeon said, the best sermon is that which is fullest of Christ. He also said, preach Christ always and everywhere. He is the whole gospel. His person, offices, and work must be our one great all-comprehending theme. Christ and Christ alone. So to understand this passage, we have got to understand that we are all boasting in something. Every one of us. We are boasting in something. We all boast about our accomplishments, our personality. We talk about our characteristics. We talk about, we might boast in our relationships. We might boast in our college degrees. We might boast in our finances. We all boast in something. Have you ever heard of the name Kim Jong-il? He is North Korea's dear leader. And he has been presented as larger than life by the media of North Korea. North Korea. Reportedly, Kim Jong-il took daily intensive memory training that involved memorizing large amounts of information. He was quoted to say, I remember all computer codes and telephones that workers are using now. At a meeting in 2002, North Korean officials said that they were impressed when Kim Jong-il recalled all of their telephone numbers with lightning speed. His memory was not only... Memory was not the only amazing attribute that he claimed. He supposedly wrote operas, piloted jet fighters, produced movies. And while those skills are believable, maybe believable, North Korea's propaganda stretched that credibility even further when it, it talked about his, his golfing prowess. Listen to this. The story goes that the first time that Kim Jong-il ever played golf, he shot 11 holes in one. You know how I mentioned BS meter? Going off. And we can laugh at that, but we shouldn't because Kim Jong-il's uh, boasts are an extreme version of what each and every one of us do. We, we look to some accomplishment, we look to some talent, we look to validate our importance to say that, man, ultimately, through those things, I measure up. I, look, at, look at how good I am. And those boasts are ridiculous. But we all do it. We all boast in something else. Boasting, my friends, is more than bragging. It is, according to John Stott, to boast in, glory in, trust in, rejoice in, revel in, and love for something. 
The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and our energy. Nah, gotcha, right? We all have these things that fill our horizons. We all have things that engross our attention. Think about what fills your mind. What do you worry about? What do you love? What do you long for? What do you strive for? Is it Christ and Him crucified? Or is it your job? Is it your wife? Is it your children? Is it your reputation? We are all filled with other things that we boast in instead of Christ and Him crucified. Everyone boasts in something. It could be your popularity. It can be your intellect. It could be your appearance. It could be your influence. It could be your job or your job performance. It could be your religious accomplishments. We all, my friends, we all boast in something. But we also need to understand something. Our boasting, our obsession, our identity should ultimately come from one place and one place only. The cross of Jesus Christ Paul says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, this Paul is, in the Bible, for many of us, uh, like a religious superstar. And Paul says, everything that I've accomplished is nothing. I want to boast not in the churches that I planted, not in the epistles that I wrote, not in even the the." The, the kind of persecution I received, the thing that I want to boast in the most, exclusively boast in, is Christ and Him crucified. I want to boast in Him. And this would have been very strange for the listeners in that time. We think of the cross as something beautiful and something noble. We wear it maybe around our necks and have it hanging in our, our, uh, our homes as decoration. And in Paul's day, it was the ugliest thing possible. You could not even mention the cross in polite society. The Romans considered the cross to be degrading, despicable, disgusting, detestable, and disgraceful. But Paul says, that cross, that cross is where my boast is found. Paul looked at the cross and he saw that God loved him enough to send his only son to die for us. He looked at the cross and he saw his salvation. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Are those just words we sing or is it the cry of our hearts? He saw that he was forgiven, that he was justified. He saw that God's wrath was turned away and now he stands innocent before his God. Friends, don't boast in anything else. Boast only in the cross. But there's a problem. You can't boast in the cross and yourself at the same time. If you glory in the cross, you have to stop trusting in your own merits. And you have to trust in Christ alone. John Stott said, 
only if we humbled ourselves as hell-deserving sinners shall we give up boasting of ourselves. Fly to the cross for salvation and spend the rest of our days glorying in the cross. So understand that we all boast. And then understand that it only makes sense to boast in one thing. The cross. And understand what it does to us. When we boast in the cross, it changes everything. Paul says that the world has been crucified to him. That the cross completely changes what he values and what he cares about. Tim Keller puts it this way, the gospel changes what I fundamentally boast in. It changes the whole basis for my identity. Therefore, nothing in this whole world has power over me. I am free at last to enjoy the world, for I do not need the world. Let me say that again. There's nothing in the world that has power over me. I am free at last to enjoy the world. For I no longer need the world. I'm neither inferior to anyone nor superior to anyone. I am being made all over into someone and something entirely new. My friends, the gospel changes what we boast in. It completely changes our identity. It changes the way that we look at ourselves, our relationships, our inner struggles. It changes everything. Our identity is no longer in what I think about me or what I feel about me. But Jesus says, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I've given you a new creation. Boast in what I've done for you. And that is enough. If you're going to brag about anything, my friends, brag about Jesus. Brag about His saving work in your life. And Paul ends verses the end section, as he has been talking about his, what is most critical, he says, as for those who walk according to those, this rule, this way of understanding, this way of living, grace and mercy be upon you. And then he wraps up with this beautiful benediction. He says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So let it be. Make it so. And what he's saying here is that this is all that matters. He's saying, from now on, he says, let's not have any more confusion about the gospel. Let no one bother you about false versions of the gospel, he says. He, he's glad to be a part of the people of God who get the gospel, and he prays that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with the, the, the Galatians as they avoid the false gospel of salvation 
and embrace the cross of Christ. Man, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you as you are on this endeavor. I imagine Paul looking at the scroll, having pointed to Jesus. He does a first century kind of mic drop with the pen. He just kind of drops it. He puts the pen down. He looks at the scribe and gives him the head nod. And says, send it out. This is it. And so having brought your attention to a great Savior, my friends, I could walk out today and be done. Because I have done what I have been commissioned to do. Point you to Jesus. My, my only desire as a pastor is not for a, a church of two, three, four, five, six hundred, a thousand people where we have multiple sites. My, my, my greatest desire is not that we be a church of, that has such a, a financial storehouse that we, we don't know what to do with all the money. My, my greatest desire is that we are not a church that has uh, all kinds of staff that does all kinds of work here. Or that we have amazing programs and things. My, my greatest desire for you is that you see, savor, and boast in Christ. My only desire is that you would glory in the cross. That Christ would be the greatest joy in your deepest glory. That's my desire. And having done this, my job is done. My job is done. I'll be back next Sunday, though. But I can walk away in good conscience saying, brothers, sisters, boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I can say with Paul, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Let us pray.